Good morning. What's so funny? My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to start out with a little confession. Is two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Tim uh, delivered an outstanding sermon about doing hard things, and uh, he had a brilliant, brilliant illustration. And the illustration had to do with an argument that he and I had about a decade ago about t-shirts. And I was so convicted by the Holy Spirit that I decided right then and there that I was going to go find the perfect (laughs) t-shirt. And I was going to preach in that t-shirt. Now, Full disclosure, this argument, I just wanted to get, because you got one side of the story. And by the way, if you weren't here two weeks ago, it was a fabulous message. In fact, I remember when I heard it on Saturday night, I said, please don't change a thing about that message. And I said, make sure you use the t-shirt argument. It's important to the, to the message. And, it, and it's true. And, and, and you need to share that. But I had two reasons. One was because it was perfect for the sermon. But two, I'd already decided I was getting this shirt. <laughs> and I knew what I was preaching on in two weeks, which is this weekend. And we're talking about church unity or church harmony. And so Tim gave one side of the story. I want to give you the other side of the story. Now, I want to reassure you I'm not still mad about it, and neither is he, I don't think. Um, But the nature of the argument, I realized as Tim was sharing his side of the story, is neither one of us was listening to the other. Because what I thought I said and what Tim thought he heard were completely two different things. And neither one of us were really listening to one another's heart. You see, what Tim heard was, you don't accept me and my appearance matters more than my content. And, you know, he's from that generation that's just, you know, all leathery and I'm legit, take it or leave it, right? What I thought I was saying is let's be more careful about the selection of the t-shirt. But that's not what he heard. And anyone who had been here, you would know that, you know, Tim, Tim doesn't care. And I probably care too much. That's re- he doesn't care at all. He probably needs to care a little bit more. And I probably need to care a little bit less about the shirt, right? Because Tim would just grab whatever shirt. And sometimes it would be a work shirt. And it would be three sizes too big for Tim. And it would have holes in the armpits. And he's preaching about Jesus Christ. And it's like, hey, can we just, can we just look at the shirt, you know? And as the argument, as we both dug in, as we both dug in, it, it just got worse. And, and I, I want to defend Tim here. He, you know, he said that he was being a little hard-headed. He wasn't. He was being very hard-headed. <laughs> and I wasn't, you know, leading a little bit. I was being bossy, right? Because in an effort to make our point, we escalated and we chose teams And it was bad. It was bad. And I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. Because sometimes with a middle name like Wright, and that is my middle name, I can win the argument and lose the relationship. That's just how God made me. And only by God's grace did something so stupid prevent me losing one of my best friends. We weren't listening to one another. We weren't hearing one another's heart. 
both of us. And um, yeah, I needed to wear a t-shirt with my best friend's face plastered right on the front of it. And now it's one of my new favorite t-shirts. And if you'd like one, you can get one at a price. All proceeds will go to the Cadillac campus. <laughs> if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to uh, the book of Titus. We're in chapter 3, and this is all about unity, and it's all about harmony. And you'll see, just through this illustration, how Tim and I failed in this, and how sometimes we all fail. But also, it gives us a roadmap for how to do it right. You see, unity is very important to the church, Uh, In Jesus' final prayer for all believers at the Last Supper, the night before he died, he prayed, Father, that they would be one just as you and I are one. Now think about that just for a minute. The unity or the tri-unity of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three persons One essence. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. Not three different people, not three different gods, three persons, but one essence. That unity is untouchable. That unity goes beyond any friendship, any marriage, any team that you could possibly imagine. But Jesus' prayer, God, I pray, Father, that they would be one, just as you and I are one. You and me and I and you and they in us. That's what he wants. I think sometimes as churches, we don't take unity as seriously as God does. Well, we're going to see in God's word right here, if you have a Bible or a flat screen, we're in chapter three, and and we're just going to look at at a few short verses here, just four short verses, um, or three maybe, and um, they're all about unity. And it's for Christians. It's for the church. So you picked a good weekend. You picked a good weekend. So chapter three, will start in verse eight. He says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. This is God's word. And, and, and the title of this message is Church Harmony. But the main point of this message is a point that you've heard before and I think is layered in any message about unity and any discussion about t-shirts or anything else that the church is about. And that's simply this. Paul is saying, God is saying, What we're being reminded of is as a church, as an organization, a team, a body, a family, is to fight the right fight. To fight the right fight. Now, this church probably heard that phrase for the first time when we coined it during the pandemic of which will not be named. You remember what I'm talking about? 
when, when, when the whole nation was in lockdown and we were in lockdown and we're trying to submit to the authority but continue to, to, to gather. And what's interesting is during a huge time of uncertainty, a time where people were, I don't care what you say, legitimately getting sick, but then also we had people that were probably going a little bit too far, right? With all of that, we started as a church fighting the wrong fight. Where do I get this whole fight business? You'll remember that Paul, his instructions to Timothy were to fight the good fight of the faith. And then he said in his second letter to Timothy, second Timothy says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so this idea, this God inspired idea that there's this battle, there's this fight that we're all in. It's a fight for our faith, for the faith of the people around us, for following Jesus in a fallen world that this is a struggle. So he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Well, if there's a good fight, that must mean there's also a bad fight. If there's a good way to fight, armed with the Holy Spirit, armed with love, armed with forgiveness, armed with the banner of Jesus Christ. That's the good fight. But there's also a bad way to fight. There's a bad fight of the faith. That's when we take Jesus' name and we plaster it on all of our preferences. That's when we take Jesus' name and we plaster it on on our political preferences. That's when we take Jesus' name and we use it to justify all manner of behaviors towards others that we disagree with, towards people outside the church, that's fighting the wrong fight. And so we said, hey, church, we're doing our best. We're trying to make the right calls here. We can't please everyone. Fight the right fight. Because no matter what you think about it now, that was, that was the worst time to be a pastor in America. What you don't know statistically is after that pandemic, church ministry people left the church in mass because they, couldn't, they were trying to please God. They couldn't please anyone. I remember being on a Zoom call uh, with, with other pastors from Northwest Michigan, and we were all just trying to share information. It was great coming together. What makes me sad is now none of us want to get together because the, you know, the crisis is over. But in the crisis, we were on the same team for a hot second. And we're all on the Zoom, and we're all talking, and it's like, are you going to open up? Well, I don't know. You're going to close. Well, we live in the country, and everybody's thinking out here, it's a scam. And everybody said, well, we want to submit to the governor. And blah. it was just going back and forth. Finally, this one pastor wasn't me. One pastor goes, here's the deal. He goes, the people in my church who drive Subarus, they want us to stay closed. The guys that drive trucks with gun racks, they wanted us to open three months ago. And I said, that pretty much narrows it down. Except in Buckley, sometimes you see a Subaru with a gun rack. It's really weird. I don't know about Manistee. I don't know about Manistee, but I'm just talking about whatever. But no one was fighting the right fight. Everyone was fighting the wrong fight. And you know what's sad? There are people that have left the church, not just this church, but any church, over that issue on one side or the other, and they've never come back. Pandemic t-shirts, it's stupid. It's stupid. What does Paul say? Well, he's talking about unity. He goes, insist on these things. Those who have believed in God. So he declares who he's talking to. Manistee, Buckley, just play along. If you believe in God, if you call yourself a Christian, just quick show of hands. Just quick show of hands. Play along. Yeah. So he's talking to us. He's talking to you. I insist on these for those who have believed in God that they may be careful to devote themselves to good works. 
devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. What is he saying? If good works is what we're supposed to do, remember, good works don't save us. Good works are a result of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I don't do good works so God will love me more. He already loves me more than we could possibly imagine. He can't love me any more or any less, but it's a result of that. It's a response to that. He says, but I and you and us, if you believe in God, be devoted to doing good works, not devoted to arguments about closing or not closing or t-shirts. Devote yourself to the mission is what he's saying. Devote yourself to the mission. What's the mission? Jesus laid it out. These good works that are all a part of the mission, we've made the mission statement of our church, just to summarize it. That we should love God and love people and make disciples. That's the mission. The mission hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Now, some churches get off of the mission by saying, you know what? We're going to be the church of everyone that just loves one another, and we don't need anyone that's not like us, and no outsiders, and you know, we're just going to stay comfortable, and then this little thing that I'm making right here becomes a noose, and it dies, and they go, why isn't our church not growing? Well, because it became all about you, and your comfort, and people like you. How narcissistic is that? The mission is to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, what does that mean? That means to give yourself away. That means to be generous. That means to invite people to Jesus. That means to share your faith. That means to wear your faith with pride. That means to forgive. That means to forgive. That means to welcome strangers and people from other races. That means to donate to the food pantry and care about what's going on in other countries that aren't as wealthy or as powerful. Yes, all these good works. They're important. Good works mean to see people that no one else sees. The widow, the orphan, the child, people that are at risk, the addict, the hot mess that lives in that situation right down your street. Instead of clucking your tongue, it's about caring the way Jesus did. These are good works. That's, this is part of loving God and loving people, right? The loving God part, this means that I worship every weekend. That means I care about what's going on in my church. This means that I want to learn about them, that I know where my Bible is, that I want to teach my children about him, that my grandchildren about him, that I want to be like him, that I want to listen to his voice. I sing my guts out about him. I pray to him. I pray to him together. I pray to him alone. I listen for him and I obey I give him my yes. You guys with me? These are all good works. We can go on and on and on. It's not just about what we do for needy people. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Summary is to love God and love people. And then before he left, he said, and make disciples of all nations. This is the mission. This is the mission. And what Paul says here, in fighting the right fight, the first part of that is devote yourself to the mission. Now, what is that? How, how do we get there from t-shirts? Well, in the moment, Tim and I weren't thinking about the mission. We weren't. I was thinking about appearances. He wasn't thinking about armpits. <laughs> the truth was somewhere in the middle. And we weren't devoted in that moment. We were forgetting that God was doing this slow burn, blue flame revival in a place that should never have seen a church 
like this or this size. We were forgetting about to change lives. We were forgetting about what was most important. We were forgetting about how in this friendship, in this relationship, God was doing something unique. Can you imagine if that relationship had driven one or the other away? I can't imagine our church without Tim. I couldn't have survived the last decade without Tim. We're so different, but yet so the same because we're committed to the same God. I love the fact that his sermons are completely different than mine. And by the way, you can give up coming up to me with your little opinions about Tim's sermon because I'm not listening. Because about 50% of this church, if Tim wasn't here, they wouldn't be here. And I love it when he preaches because I know that little story at the beginning. I'm like, where is he going with this? Where is he going with this? If I just stick with it and I'm not a pansy, by the end, it's like, oh, he just pulled a pin on that grenade, mind blown. Because he thinks about things in a different way than I do. This is part of unity. But it doesn't happen if you're not devoted to the mission. Now, there's three areas just within the church organization where we need to stay devoted to the mission. And this church does a good job of this, okay? So stay with me, team. The first area is serving. The second area is participation. And the third area is with our giving. When we stay devoted to the mission there. Now, there's other ways of loving God, loving people, and make disciples, but I have a limited amount of time. So I just want to talk about the church. When we're devoted to that, to our serving, our participating, and our giving, good things happen and we stay unified. This is part of being devoted to the mission. So when I say serving, we have all the people that we need at both campuses to do all the jobs, all the jobs from parking to cafe, to food pantry, to student ministry, to kids ministry, nursery, you name it, the cleaning, we have all the people that we need. The problem is, is not everyone is signed up and participating. Now, I'm not sad. I can't believe how many people are involved. We have, I I think at last check, over 50% of our people are participating somewhere. But as a coach, we're not at 100% yet, so I gotta say it. I gotta say it. Fun fact, last week, I saw a hole in our serving. Manistee, you didn't see this, but it was so much fun. You know, we have our parking lot across the street, and I don't know, somebody didn't show. I saw a chance because I wasn't preaching. Give me a yellow jacket. Pastor Martin, put me in, coach. Put me in, put me in. And they trusted me with a yellow jacket and a sign in your lives. (laughs) It was awesome. I mean, some people talked a little too much while they're crossing and ticked off the, you know, church skippers, but they were trying to get through, you know, hey, we're people need the Lord having a prayer here. No, but uh, it was a good time. What I was shocked though, and and I'm not sad, I'm not sad because I get the, you know, the Northern Michigan way is to crack. That's how we say, I love you. And so that was cool. But I was shocked how many of you, when you saw, oh, it's John said, did you get demoted? (laughs) You don't get it yet, do you? I know it's a joke, but why would crossing guard be a demotion? That job is just as important as this job. That job is just as important as music guy, music girl. It's just as important as children's ministry director. Just as important as person who comes and washes the office windows that you don't even see and you don't even know. 
We all serve one Lord. And being devoted to the mission means finding your place to serve. We shouldn't have any holes. And I'm saying this because we're opening a third campus and that means people who are serving here are now gonna go serve there. And if you're wondering, is God calling you to serve? The answer is yes. Stop thinking about it, asking about it, talking about it, and praying about it. Because we have all the people we need, they just haven't all said yes yet. Let me speak to Manistee just for a minute. This is your packed service. There's two service times just like ours. You got the nine o'clock hour and then the 1045 hour in Manistee. And the nine o'clock hour is packed and the 1045 hour is not as packed. You know why? Because in the second service, we don't have children's ministry yet in Manistee. We have nursery, we have toddler, but if, I'm, if I got five kids like I do, and if about 10 years ago at that age, we're not coming to second service, we're going to first where I can get rid of those suckers. <laughs> so I can hear and worship and do whatever, right? Well, that doesn't happen unless people in Manistee step up. I'm talking to you, Manistee. Buckley, here we go. You come on a Sunday. It's really nice, usually really packed, first service, second service. We have full kids men here on a Sunday, but you know where we don't have full kids men? On Saturday. And that Saturday service is an awesome service. It's the first service of the weekend. We tape it as a backup message for this service in Manistee and soon in Cadillac, just in case there's a blackout here or whatever, we've got that in the bag but we're never gonna attract families to Saturday night unless we get people that'll say, pick me. Here am I. I'll go. And I know I've ticked off people with this before. There's always the, the very Christian spiritual how we hide behind things. We'll say, well, I don't know if I'm called to that. I don't know if I was called to crossing guard, but there was a hole. It's about serving. It's not about you feeling ultimately fulfilled. So it's with our serving, with our participation, with our being involved, with our kids and student men, putting our kids and children's men. And I'm gonna tell you, we've had some huge, huge wins. Do you know that two weeks ago in Manistee, we had over 60 kids in a kid's camp, in a Bible camp? 60 in Manistee, that was huge. This past week in Buckley, we had 100 in our kids' camp. Come on, people. That's huge. That was huge. And that happened because people were participating with their children, and people were serving, and also we had people giving. Last week here in Buckley, we baptized 38 people. That's being on mission. That's devoted to the mission. Today in Manistee, we have over 30 signed up to be baptized. That's the largest weekend of baptism or two weekends combined we've ever seen at the tabernacle. So we're, we're devoted to the mission. We're doing it. It's exciting. It's good stuff. But we have to stay devoted. We have to stay devoted. I got to hustle here because I said, you know, in being devoted to the mission, these are the things that are good and profitable. Watch this. Our giving continues to blow us away. Now, when I talk about giving, you can't get all squeamish and quiet. It's part of life, okay? It's part of the church. We bring our offerings, we give to God. Our donations at the food pantry, it's unbelievable how many people we're feeding every month there, mostly through donations, not through our funding. You got a tab insider that said the renovations for the Cadillac campus were gonna be uh, uh, 
upwards of half a of a half a million dollars in order to get the sound, the light, the tech, to get the space right, to get the drywall right, to pull out the old carpet and put the new carpet in, to make the kids' zone safe. You got that tab insider, right? If not, you need to participate and open your emails, all right? But it was like a half a million dollars. Pray with us. As the insider's going out, God's already bringing a donation of over $300,000 to that. That's huge. Here's the deal. That was earmarked for Cadillac. At the same time, our giving, just our regular old tithes and offering giving, which that's the bread and butter of the church, continues to only be at about 75% of our budget. So we're doing good. Could we do better? Yes. And what does Paul say? I bring you back to God's word. I'm not manipulating here. People who believe in God, be careful to devote themselves to good works, our serving, our participating, and our giving. It starts there. On the flip side, what does he say? But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So what he's saying is when you're devoted to the mission, to the good works, loving God, loving people, making disciples in the church, outside the church, that's profitable, that's excellent, keep doing that. But you know what's not is foolish arguments. And he throws in their genealogies. What's that mean? That's not so much for us in 2023, but back in the day, they would argue about who was a descendant from who. Are you really a Jew, a descendant from Abraham? Or are you kind of got some of that Gentile blood? Or they wanted to do genealogies about Jesus and his half-brothers because they were all interested in making rock star saints out of people. We don't do that as much, in our, but still, it's foolish. Foolish controversies. And he's throwing, you know, genealogies, dissensions. The church is legendary for what we can dissent about. We're legendary. I'm I'm not talking about out there. I'm talking about in here. And quarrels about the law for they're unprofitable and worthless. You know what he's saying? He's saying, church, listen to me. Avoid division like the plague. Avoid division like the plague. If you want to fight the right fight, stay out of the stupid division stuff. There's legitimate things to fight about. When we go off track theologically, yes. Foolish controversies, avoid it like the plague. Do you understand what I say when I say like the plague? I, I, I told this story last night. Maybe I shouldn't because some of us have short memories. In the first two weeks of that pandemic, of which will not be named, none of us knew what was going on. QAnon wasn't born yet and all your little pet theories about World Bank and taking over the world and what's happening. For a minute, all of us were like, hey, it was like after 9-11, everyone's a little bit scared. Remember that? We didn't know. What is it? Is it airborne? Is, it, is, it, is this a bio attack? You know, and we were in the lockdown. Well, I break, remember the lockdown? You couldn't buy paint. You couldn't buy anything. Huddle in place. Netflix, you know? I went outside because I needed to get some gas. And I didn't know anything about this plague. And I went to the Buckley General Store and I put in my debit card and Buckley was a ghost town. No one was there, but the gas thing was still working. So I put the debit card in and it was enter your pin. And I went, I don't have a glove (laughs) for a minute. I was thinking, what if I went to get gas and I kill, 
you know, I get killed by the plague and I infect my whole family with the plague. You did too. Don't look at me like that. I never for once believed. That guy's the biggest talker in the world. For one second, I was like, and I thought about it and I said, either God is sovereign or he's not. And I became a Calvinist. Bing, 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 bing. Just put it right in. Wasn't afraid. Yeah. But he says here, what he's telling us when he avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, avoid division like the plague. Churches will fight about color of carpet. They'll fight about music. They'll fight, and, and, and you know, I've shared this with you before. There's churches that have divided over the length of the worship leader's beard. We'll divide about T-shirts. For a hot second in this church, there was a petition going around about the decor. We don't listen to petitions. Avoid Division like the plague. This is what happens with division. It incubates and infects in the midst of inactivity. Division, whether it's in your marriage, on a team, at your school, at your job, at a church. Division incubates and infects us in the vacuum of inactivity. What do I mean by that? When you're devoted to the mission, loving God, loving people, making disciples, you don't have time to argue about t-shirts. You're not interested in why black paint versus, you know, slightly pastel white paint. You're not interested in things that aren't important because you're focused on the mission. You're mission focused. But when you're inactive, when you're not participating, have you noticed this? People that aren't involved have very strong opinions. Come to an annual meeting. (laughs) Like people that are invested, serving five places, giving generously, doing whatever, reading all the emails, praying for their pastors, praying for one another, being involved. They're just like, let's go. I didn't mean to yell in the mic. Sorry, Manistee. Yeah. But people that are just kind of like, well, I'm in a pullback stage for a while. You know, I'm in a season, you know. I've just, you know, I've kind of done my time. But people in that state, some of you are laughing. I see you, Polly. You know, you've been in church for a minute. I'm not calling Polly out. She knows is what I'm saying. She's on my team, right? When someone's inactive, that's where the division infects. That's where it's incubated. And then it becomes a disease and then it spreads. You don't believe me? Watch this. Our nation when we were forced into inactivity, when we were sheltering in place, the seeds of division, perfect place to incubate and infect. And if your memory can recollect, it spilled over into the streets, didn't it? Division, serious division that almost tore this nation apart. Well, if that can happen in a country, that can happen in a church. And so what he says here is avoid division like the plague. Avoid these foolish things. Dissensions, quarrels about the law. Should I smoke? Should I not smoke? Playing cards, dancing, not dancing, movies. How do I educate my child? Should a preacher wear a a, a t-shirt on stage? Some of you are mad about that. Avoid it like the plague. They're unprofitable and worthless. And look what he says about this. 
In verse 10, he says, as for a person who stirs up division. Now this, I I, got to pause there. He's not saying you can never disagree. We had very healthy disagreement at our annual meeting, very well thought out, loving disagreement at our annual meeting. So don't assume I'm talking about you or even this past meeting, which was outstanding. What I'm saying is there are some people that have legitimate things and if they're invested, I'll listen. I'll I'll listen, but there's some of us, there's some humans, well, maybe not in our church, probably not you, but in some places, they're professionals at stirring up stuff. It makes them feel important. It makes them feel alive. They always have to have a contrary opinion because now people will look at them because deep inside, they have a need to be noticed. It's pride. And they're always stirring up. And so he says here, as for people who are like this, these are the, those that stir up division because they love foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. As for a person who stirs up a division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. That's harsh. Is it? You see, God loves his people. He loves his church. He wants Pastor Titus here to love his flock well, and he wants them to protect the flock. So he says, these people that stir things up, you warn them once, you warn them twice, then have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped, sinful, and self-condemned. He's saying, Titus, you need to fearlessly confront sin. Fearlessly confront sin. Fearlessly confronting sin is what the church is called to do. That's church discipline. But we as a people are called to fearlessly confront sin in our own relationships. You see, dissension and division just doesn't pop off all of its own. It starts with a conversation. Well, it starts with a thought. It starts with my warped, sinful, self-condemning behavior. And then what I do is I share it with someone else. And right there, it could either be nipped in the bud or it can begin to fester. It can begin to infect and incubate and become this thing that spreads to more than one. I don't want to hurt my friend's feelings. And so what I'll do is I'll go, hey, I feel this way. You too? Oh, sure. Instead of saying, nope, you're being foolish. You missed the point. That's not what he said. That's not what this is about. He wasn't calling Polly out. She's going to kill me for saying her name three times now in this message. That's not what he said. That's fearlessly confronting sin, but we don't do that. So sometimes we just go along with it, and then it becomes a thing, and then people have to choose sides, and then we have division. And then we wonder why churches don't advance the cause of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He says, no, be devoted to the mission. Be devoted to the mission, 100%. We're going to fight the right fight here. We want to avoid this division like the plague. And part of that is fearlessly confronting plague. If it's legit, we need to listen. If it's foolish, we need to call it out. This is who Jesus was. This is who he calls us to be. Jesus, completely devoted to the mission. Jesus, wasn't afraid of division. He had division with the religious leaders who were foolishly caught up in all of their legalisms. He fearlessly called out their sin. He confronted it. But he was on a mission. He was fighting for my heart and for your heart. He was fighting for the future of the church. 
And so what I believe Paul is saying, I believe what God is saying is that we're supposed to be like Jesus. We're to fight the right fight. Now, how does that apply to your whole life? That's not just the church. In your marriage, more often than not, it's the little things become bigger things. They're not dealt with. They're not confronted. And then all of a sudden you have two people that are not fighting the right fight. They're forgetting all the things that attracted to them to that person in the first place. They're forgetting all of the vows that they made to one another and to God. They take their eye off the ball and then we have division instead of fighting the right fight. It's the same thing in your organization. It's the same thing in your team. When we're devoted to the mission, we don't care whose idea it is when we're devoted to the mission. We just want to see the mission accomplished. We just want to see that happen. When someone has something to say about the coworker, someone has something to say about the, you know, the, the person on the team, it's like, hey, that's not important. Everyone sees that thing right there in the middle of their head. You don't have to draw attention to it. That's how God made them, okay? I, none of you have a thing here. I'm just... <laughs> fight the right fight. I'm so glad that Jesus did, and he did it fearlessly. Church, we're called to do the same thing. We're called to do the same thing. We're called to do it in Buckley. We're called to do it in Manistee. By God's grace, we're being called to do it in Cadillac. And if we stay focused with our serving, with our participating, with our giving, with our loving God and loving people, keeping short accounts so there is no division. Whew. God only knows what he wants to do with our church. And I'm excited about our church. I want you to be excited about your church, about his church, about this church. We're not the only church. There's a lot of great churches. We've said it before, we'll say it again. If you don't feel united with us, find another one. Just don't go sit home, find another one. Because honestly, we need this space. That makes people mad when I say that. It's just true. It's true, it's true. Go to Cadillac if you need to. And don't fight about t-shirts. I'm gonna invite the bands to come. Would you bow your heads with me? And just take a moment with God. What does it look like for you to fight the right fight? If you got out of the fight for a minute, are you just coming back to the fight? Are you already in it? Well, praise God. But Jesus, our, our great commander, he invites us to be a part of his mission, not ours. His glory, not ours. His church. God, where there's sin in our hearts, would you call us to repentance? Would be, we be quick to confess and to repent? God, where we are lacking, where we have invited the plague of division in, would you cut it out? God, would you help us to be fearless in confronting sin, not in a mean way, but in a loving way, the way Jesus did. God, I thank you for your blessing, despite us. I thank you for Tim Burgess and the brilliant man and friend and counselor that he is. God, all of this is for you. It's for your glory it's for our joy. 
And it's for Christ's sake in whose name we pray. Amen.